0: Welcome to the Brown County Hour.
1: Coming to you from the legendary Hills of Brown. Where are the plum purple haze.
2: The one nature herself drapes over the hills and hollers.
1: Inspires local characters, artists, and nature lovers.
2: It's as though the hills themselves
3: conspire to create a beauty and culture in the heart of Indiana.
1: Sit for a spell and hear the music.
2: Tall tales.
1: True stories
2: and current goings-on.
1: Brought to you by folks who still know how to sit by a fire in winter.
0: And swim buck naked in summer. Welcome to episode 116 of the Brown County Hour, this is Dave Seastrom.
4: And this is Sarah Lytle, along with the rest of the crew. This month, we have a remembrance of legendary Muncie blues musician, Governor Davis. We'll listen to a conversation with three of his friends and a
5: selection of his music.
0: We also have an interview with the executive director of Sycamore Land Trust, John Lawrence. And we'll hear from the cast of the radio play for the Brown County Playhouse production of It's a Wonderful Life.
4: The producer Lisa Hall and director Ashton Wolf share some information about the Brown County Playhouse production of 2020 COVID, the musical. And we have essays from Jim Eagleman and Dave Seastrom. Segment one begins with a conversation that included Connie Selke Paul, Hondo Thompson, and J.C. Clemens as they remember their friend, Governor Davis. Executive Director John Lawrence tells us what Sycamore Land Trust is doing in our area and we'll close with the Governor Davis tune, I am the Governor.
0: This evening, we've got a group here, and we're going to remember Governor Davis with some friends of his. And I'm going to let everybody introduce themselves and share a few moments of their thoughts.
6: Um, I'm Connie Selkey Paul, and I was Governor's agent. And uh, when I took Governor on as one of my clients, I didn't know that he was going to turn out to be a wonderful friend to me. Uh, governor was a um, humble, loving, giving, supportive Human being who everybody loved him. And the phrase, everybody loves the gov, was a true statement because they do. Governor was his real name. It wasn't a stage name. I thought it was his stage name when I first met him, and I thought that's pretty cool. But Governor played down here in Brown County for the opening of the Brown County Music Center. He played in a lot of little honky tonks. And, uh, you know, he came from Chicago many, many years ago and uh, lived. Many years in, in Indiana, and went to Vincennes and Ball State University. Uh, there's a scholarship in his name at Vincennes, and uh, Ball State. You know, treats him like the legend that he is. He's he just was bigger than life. Um, when he walked into a room, he always had on his full dress. He had on a, a suit, a tie, nice shoes, and a hat, and everybody would go, "Hey, hey, hey! Who is that over there? Is that Governor Davis?" He played in a lot of honky-tonks. He played on some small stages, but he really did his best work on a big stage, like down here at Brown County. He would get on that stage, and he just he lit up. And one of the things I think that really impressed me about him is I represent probably 20, 25 different bands. Everybody in that group love each other they don't fight. They don't fight for attention. They loved each other like brothers, and it showed. It showed in the performances. A uh, governor would get out on the uh, stage, and then he would walk out into the audience, and he would interact with people. He supported every musician that I know of. Uh, he taught uh, music for 20 years. He just encouraged people to be better, and the one thing I want to say in, in my last thought is that he never believed how— he had an impact in the community and he would call me often and say so-and-so came up to me and they say hey gov I know you, uh, you you're awesome I, I started playing music because of you and he'd say to me can you believe that can you believe I say yeah governor I can believe that you're, you're that awesome
7: I'm Hondo Thompson I get governor of the early years I grew up in Muncie Indiana in 1977 my first job was uh, working at Burger King on Wheeling Avenue and a guy came in and ordered his meal and wrote a check for it and on the check it said Governor Davis and I was 15 years old and I looked at him with my little 15 year old pimply face and went your name isn't governor and he said yes it is and he pulls out his ID and he said Governor Davis right on that and I said well it is governor and he, we had a nice little conversation then and we'd been friends ever since uh, it, you look back on it now, and it's exactly what a starving artist at beginning out should be doing is writing a check for a whopper, yeah. <laughs> and that's what he did. From that time on, we, we knew each other in Muncie. Uh, we had mutual friends, and every time we saw each other was this was really pleasant conversation. Go forward some years, and I was actually bartending at the Slippery Noodle mm. and ran into him there. And then I got involved in the things that I do now, emceeing stages and and working with radio and so forth. I've brought him to the stage at the Garlic Festival Mm -hmm. in Bloomington. We've crossed paths so many times, and I can't say that we were close friends, but it still felt like family. Every time I saw him, no matter where we were, if we were on the street or he was coming off a stage or whatever, he knew my name. He'd just say, hey, Hondo, how's it going? I'd say, fine. And we'd have some conversation about the past and how's Joe and how's Dave, our mutual friends and so forth. And, and what you said, Connie, was, was so true. He is just warm and engaging and kind to everybody, mm-hmm. whether it's a big show or a little show or whatever's going on. One, I've never heard a single human being ever say a word about the man, they have always said what a sweet, wonderful man he is, or they've helped them with music or so forth. And he is that very thing. He was always very engaging with everybody. You said he was great in a, in a, on, a, yeah, on a big stage. I always loved it when he came off the stage and got into the audience. I always felt that that's where he was best, uh, when he was just on an intimate level with people. We got very lucky this last year. In that, we were able to ask him to come play a show at our house, uh, House Concerts at Hondos, where we raised music for local bands. And um, he was supposed to be there October 25th. And the, um, from his hospital, he contacted me and said he was sorry that he wasn't going to be able to make the show. That's the kind of guy he was. We'll miss him a lot.
4: I'm J.C. Clements. I met Gov, it was like 1990, and I was a a freshman at Marion University, and uh, I picked Marion uh, because it was close to the slipper noodle. I didn't know how, but I I just wanted to try to find a way to start playing music in Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. I had gone out to one jam, and people treated me. I, I was an 18-year-old girl. You know, they didn't see a lot of value in me as a musician. They really saw visually what they saw and age-wise what they saw. I was able to get up on stage, but, you know, the vibe that I got from the musicians there wasn't super supportive. And then um, a friend of mine named Dan Bent, he said, uh, you know, there's a jam tomorrow night. This friend of mine's going to host it. And why don't, you know, he said, I'll swing by, I'll pick you up at school, and I'll take you there. And so I went, and it was Gov Davis and Steve Robbins were the hosts, and they just thought I was so funny. I don't know. They just thought, they just got the biggest kick out of me. And they were like, you, you know, you're from Martinsville and you want to do this? And they said, we got to hear this, you know? And I was telling Gov, "I, I don't know, you know, I'm not sure. I only know like two blues songs, you know? And Gov was the one that said, just get up there and sing whatever's in your head, whatever's in your heart, just get up there and sing it, you know? And so I did. And I, I apparently wasn't that bad. And, Uh, I got down off the stage and he just put his arms around me, like the biggest hug. It just wrapped all the way around me. And he said, You're going to be okay. You're going to be okay, JC. And he said, Come out and see me here and here. And so he would tell me wherever he was at, he would bring me up and he would teach me more and he would tell me who to listen to. You know, he would give me almost like homework, you know, who to go home and listen to. And um, he mentored me. And then I turned 21, right? Quit using the fake ID. And uh I went to Chicago and I I walked into Buddy Guy's Legends and Buddy Guy was at the bar and no one else. It was only Buddy in the bar. Buddy and the bartender. And I was so sure myself, you know, and I walked in. I actually did not know it was Buddy. It was really dark inside the club. And so I walked in. And I started talking to the first person I ran into. And I told him, you know, hey, my name's JC. And I've been playing with Governor Davis. And I know what I'm doing. I'm ready to sing here. And the person said, well, I'll get you up tonight, you know. And then all of a sudden, my eyes started adjusting to the room. And I realized I was talking to Buddy. And then I started trying to backtrack a little. <laughs> and it was too late, Right. But I got up and I sang and I did good you know and I walked off that stage and I I just said thank you gov and you know and then that's my career was set there that night and it was because of the mentoring he gave me and the support he gave me and later on in life when we when I moved back home and we had a chance to reconnect he would just he would just give me those big bear hugs and he would love to tell that story about how he used to get me up on stage and um, I was just so honored to have someone like Gov feel proud of me, because he was one of the most wonderful people.
5: Well,
0: that, uh, these are heartfelt. Really appreciate it.
4: I know a girl,
8: her name is Peggy Sue, I oh, she about five foot two guys, but uh, she can do the do.
0: It's my pleasure to introduce John Lawrence, who is the head of Sycamore Land Trust. Do you have an official title, John?
3: Yes, I'm, I'm the executive director. We've got a, a great staff and a great board of directors, so we all work together to uh, to steer the ship. So you have some information you want to share with us this evening. Yes, indeed. So I just want to share a little with the, the listeners out there about uh, Sycamore Land Trust and uh, specifically about the work that we've been doing here in uh, Brown County. Starting off with the basics, Sycamore is a local nonprofit conservation organization that serves southern Indiana, including, and in fact, uh, we're very active in, uh, Brown County. We were founded in 1990 by a group of local volunteers, and since then, we've grown to protect over 10,000 acres. Uh, Sycamore has a professional staff of eight, a volunteer board of uh, 15 directors, and an office in Eastern Monroe County. We work to protect land by owning and managing nature preserves, many of which have trails that are open to the public. And we also hold conservation easements on privately owned land. Now this protects those properties from development while also allowing them to remain in private ownership. And we also have an environmental education program which offers programming to local schools and adults. And all these efforts are made possible by our members, who are just local people who are willing to donate $40 or more a year to support our work. Now, I think in this crowd, you'd all agree that Brown County is, uh, of course, a very special area, uh, thanks to its scenic hills and hollers and, and deep forests. And so, you know, it's no surprise that Sycamore has focused much of our effort in this area. And I'd just like to share a couple of our most important uh, projects that we've, we've done so far. Great. Our largest Brown County Preserve is the Lower Hare Nature Preserve at Downey Hill, which protects 655 acres. That's just over a square mile. Thanks to the uh, volunteer work of the Hoosier Hikers Council, we have over five miles of public trails at the preserve, and it's easy to get to, just a couple minutes south of State Road 46 on Valley Branch Road and a little bit east of Knobone. And uh, earlier this year, we were able to purchase a very important 56-acre addition to the preserve thanks to the continued support from the Hare Charitable Trust and, and our members. Another particularly significant project in Brown County is our Trevlak Bluffs Nature Preserve. It's 260 acres and as you might guess from the name is close to the town of Trevlac along State Road 45. Trevlac Bluffs has statewide significance as a natural area because it contains a rare stand of native Eastern hemlock trees, uh, which is one of only about a dozen or so such stands in the state. And it also has some nice floodplain forest along Bean Blossom Creek. The hemlocks are found on a steep bluff over the creek. And of course the creek is a very important waterway And uh, the nature preserve also includes part of the historic Yellowwood Trail, which was created and maintained for decades by Brown County's own Ken Tuxhorn. You might know the name from some of his other trails, the Flags of the Nations Trail, the 10 o'clock line trail. He was a real, real fixture here for a long time with, with trails aimed specifically, I think, at Boy Scouts. But in any case, getting back to Travelack, uh, because of the statewide significance, it has been recognized as an Indiana State Nature Preserve by the Department of Natural Resources. The DNR helped uh, purchase much of the property, as did our friends at the Nature Conservancy. So certainly important part of our work is collaboration. As I said, you know, both of these nature preserves were uh, acquired through collaboration and they have uh, required multiple land purchases and donations, which took a lot of work and generosity. But important thing that, uh, with these land acquisitions is that the work doesn't end once we get the land. That's, that's really just the, the beginning. Because Sycamore has a really great responsibility to care for our nature preserves for forever. And that takes a lot of ongoing effort. We do a lot of things monitoring property boundaries. We maintain trails and parking areas at our public preserves. And as you can imagine, unfortunately, picking up trash is a constant chore. And... Of course, we also uh, restore and maintain natural habitat uh, by doing things like planting native trees and controlling invasive non-native plants. For some examples, at uh, Trevlac Bluffs, we've controlled dozens of acres of invasive multi floor rose down in the uh, floodplain forest uh, thanks to a grant from the Natural Resources Conservation Service. At uh, Downey Hill, we've spent a lot of time controlling Japanese stiltgrass And at our Touch the Earth 2 Preserve, which is on State Road 46 on the west side of Nashville, uh, in between Nashville and Bloomington, we've planted over 30,000 trees in the past few years, uh, also with the help of NRCS. And to do this, we work with local contractors like Habitat Solutions, Wagner Forestry, and Ecologic. And of course, these projects also require significant staff and volunteer time also. And of course, all our conservation education work requires the ongoing support of people like you or listeners out there who care about the natural beauty of Brown County and in, in Southern Indiana. So I'd invite folks to go to our website, sycamorelandtrust.org, where you can request a printed guide to our public trails, you can sign up for our email newsletter, and you can make a donation to start or renew your membership support. So I'll say thanks very much to everyone out there that cares for the land that makes brown county and southern indiana such a special place
0: thank you john this is really good information
3: well thank you for having me here
8: i am the governor and it's time to legislate And it's time to legislate. It's time to make the blues a national holiday. I want music in the park 24 hours a day. Music in the park 24 hours a day. Way they do. oh we gonna book it another way. I want my rib and some cabbage too. And don't you forget that Louisiana stew? I am the governor, and it's time to legislate. It's time to make the blue a national holiday. Oh, 24 hours a day Gonna pass a bill and it's gonna Stay that way cause I am the governor And it's time to legislate I am the governor, and I will give you the rules.
1: Now we pause for station identification.
0: You are listening to the Brown County Hour on Volunteer Power Community Radio, wfhb at 100.7 in brown county 91.3 and 98.1 in bloomington 106.3 at ellisville and online at wfhb.org
2: segment two begins with the interview we had with the cast of it's a wonderful life and we'll hear a small portion of the production we'll also listen to our conversation with lisa hall and Ashton Wolfe about 2020, COVID, the musical. And we'll end this segment with the Governor Davis tune, Don't Forget to Boogie. This is Chuck Wills with the Brown County Hour, and I have with me tonight members of the Brown County Players, a group of actors that does radio theater at the Brown County Playhouse. Welcome, gentlemen. Welcome. Hello. Thank you. We have John Elmore, Bob Wilsey, and Tom Preston, happy to have you here. So radio theater, it's kind of an old art. Uh, Some might say a a lost art. Uh, How did this get started in Brown County?
9: Well, when COVID hit, uh, I was friendly with a lot of the people at the Playhouse. And I basically said, if you're having trouble finding things to do, I directed some old fashioned radio plays before. And I think that they would be good to do, and you can keep everybody separated and do them you know, safely. And they said, let's try it. So about 14 or 15 months ago, we started doing radio plays. And we started with War of the Worlds and The Day the Earth Stood Still. And that turned into doing uh, Harvey, and You Can't Take It With You, and It's a Wonderful Life.
2: Okay. So for our audience that have not been to see and hear radio theater... It's live actors on a stage, but they are seated performing their roles to a microphone. And I think I've heard it described theater of the mind.
9: Yes. Yes. You're taking a very popular, in this case, films. Mm-hmm. And doing it as a radio play, just like they did in the 40s with a lot of these very famous actors and shows, and they would uh, do it for a radio audience. And with the uh, applause sign and the boo sign coming up, we do it in the same way with a live audience that comes in, and they're part of the show, so it's a very interactive
2: So you're asking the audience to cheer and boo and and really engage. Yes,
9: and we have some very good actors and we have a terrific technical staff that puts the sound effects together.
2: So you've got not only pre-recorded music and so forth, but you've got live Foley artists on stage Pouring water and closing doors and...
9: You name it, they can do it. I mean, it's, it's amazing, glass. breaking glass, breaking windows, gunshots, you know, all kinds of stuff. And uh, the poor sound staff at the Playhouse, uh, in order to do this with all the, uh, the talent we have, we've got about 30 mics set up to do it. So there's a lot involved, you know, believe it or not, a lot involved to do these. In so the,
2: a big show really is a big show. You're talking 20 plus voice actors oh, yeah. and then all the microphones for the sound effects that are live. That's, that's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we've got two other gentlemen here at the table, Tom and Bob, I know that you both have been involved in a couple of these productions. So tell me about your experience. Why is this fun for you?
10: Well, I, I've been involved in uh, community theater for most of my adult life, really even dating back to high school. I studied some theater at IU and, but I'm a business person by trade and, uh, uh, I've always been able to do community theater to kind of get my fix, as it were, to the theater bug. And uh, uh, with the pandemic hitting, well, we were all kind of shut down. I, I'm in a singing group. Uh, we did not. We were not able to, to have any concerts. Uh, the community theater uh, lane was just shut down. And thank goodness that John came up with the idea of doing the radio plays because I've gotten to do more characters in the last 18 months than I've gotten to do, I think, in the last five years. Um, so it's really been fun. How about you, Tom?
11: Well, my story is kind of exactly the opposite. I'd never done anything performance-wise in my life. John approached me and said, you know, I'd like to have you try this. So I tried it. It's fun. I really have a good time doing it. I really didn't think I could do it, um, but being involved with this and being involved with all the talent that is there, it's pretty impressive. I, I really have a good time.
2: Well, as somebody that has been in the audience as well as on stage with you, I, I can attest that it's incredible to hear the, the breadth of characters that you all bring. Because I, I know you individually, but to hear you on stage bring these characters to life, uh, it's really a different version of you. And these characters are really diverse. And it, it's fun to witness the transformation
11: yeah, it's really for me, it was really a challenge to think about stepping outside of just who I am and and try and put myself in the in the role of of whoever it is that I happen to be, yeah, at that particular moment. But yeah,
2: and from being in the audience, I saw you do Harvey, the engagement between the characters, going back to that thought of theater of the mind, it was really there. It, all of you were painting such a great collaborative picture. It was great fun to see the fun being had on stage. Well, and what a great place to have a show like that at the Playhouse with that great stage and the sound. uh, A wonderful way to kick off the holidays. Yes. All right. Brown County players, John, Tom, Bob, thank you so much for being here. And we look forward to seeing and hearing you on the stage. Thanks for having us, Chuck. Chuck.
9: Thank you, Chuck.
12: Greetings from Nashville, Indiana, ladies and gentlemen. For our upcoming holiday classic play, we bring you one of the season's most inspiring hits, a Brown County Playhouse original production. Yes, announcing Frank Capra's It's a Wonderful Life. This is the story of George Bailey, citizen of Bedford Falls. Oddly enough, this story does not begin in Bedford Falls. In fact, it doesn't begin anywhere in the world. It begins in heaven, where the superintendent of angels has just summoned an apprentice angel named Clarence. Oh, am I really going to earth, sir? Oh, how splendid. Yes, there's a very discouraged man down there, Clarence, George Bailey. At exactly 10.45 PM, he'll be thinking seriously of ending his life.
10: Oh, dear, dear, his life, sir. If I should accomplish my mission, may I perhaps get my wings? I've been waiting for over 200 years now, and, well, people are beginning to talk.
12: Well, you do a good job on George Bailey, and we'll see about your wings.
10: Oh, thank you, sir.
12: Well, that's how our story begins. But you'll have to wait to hear the rest of the story at the historic Brown County Playhouse and its classic holiday production of It's a Wonderful Life. Well, it
0: is my pleasure to introduce Lisa Hall and Ashton Wolfe, and they are here to discuss 2020 COVID, the musical. Thanks so much for coming in. Now you got to tell us about what are you guys up to?
13: Well, and just in the way you just introduced that, I know I got some splaining to do, (laughs) right? First, I just want to share a tiny bit of backstory with you because it was really fun. So I met Ashton during uh, the filming of the documentary. Okay. And,
0: and and what we're talking about here is The Attic's Wake. The
13: Attic's Wake, right. So it was pretty early on prior to pandemic. And Ashton has this really cool uh, cable show that he can tell you about. But he came down to film us filming. And when I met him, I just sensed this real renaissance guy. I mean, I could tell he had a lot of talent. So um, when... April 7th came, my first grandbabies were born and my kids were living in Denver and they had twins and we couldn't get to them. You know, everything was shut down. They didn't want cars on the road and I was having my cup of coffee one morning and I was lamenting out loud about this, you know, this pandemic. And as I was lamenting, I just thought to myself and felt this kind of in my spirit that said you know what someone is going to record this somebody is and why not it be us they're gonna they're gonna record all the absurdities of this time certainly and um, all the other shared experiences that people are going through and so I called Ashton on a Tuesday I think it was I said what are you doing he says I'm quarantining i said yeah i know and i said how do you feel about writing a play about covid for the brown county playhouse and he immediately said to me how do you feel about a musical and i said 10 times better (laughs) and that is where the collaboration began we talked about what he would need to do this financially what i asked him to put a production budget together We talked about topics. We really did not want this to be political in any way. We wanted it to be based on all the commonalities that we've all gone through during this wacky time. So that's how it started. And by December of 2020, he had a 21-song musical expose that I was so excited to be able to bring to our playhouse. And... I'm gonna tell you why this is super important to our Playhouse and why it's super important for our community. Our communities right now in Brown County's you know, not alone, we are so divided on so many things that I just thought this would be an incredible way to bring people together to help them process what we've all just gone through and some with great cost and loss. There's We're not ever minimizing that in this show. We're not making fun of COVID. We're not trying to profiteer off COVID. It's, it's an opportunity for communities to maybe grow in compassion towards their neighbor who, who maybe lost a parent or a wedding was canceled or, we, you know, just the list of disappointments in the last almost two years has been incredible. And so that that was one important thing for me. But two, important for our playhouse, you know, we limp along every year in a county of 15,000, Where we don't have industry, we don't have a cook, a lily, a Cummins underwriting the things that we do at the Playhouse. So fundraising is just a bear every year. So Ashton and I talked through licensing this show with the Library of Congress, which we did. And we're going to be marketing this show across the nation to other venues like ours. And that's why I'm excited about this commission piece. This man is brilliant musically and otherwise. Well, um,
0: I, I certainly hope it plays out that way for you all.
13: I hope it does, too. Yeah. But you don't know until you try.
0: No, that's right. you got to put it out there to see what happens. Right. Well, uh, Ashton, I see that you are a busy man uh, of many talents. Uh, I watched a little trailer from The Mayberry Man, which I understand that you had a part in. And, um, yeah, that was one Uh, A lot of other activities. So uh, Lisa gives you a call. Next thing you know, you're writing a musical about COVID. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) share some of your thinking as you were putting all of
11: that together. Sure. Um, When we finally decided on a format and an approach that I would take for the musical, I did a lot of research. I talked to a lot of people. And um, I observed a lot of people. And I realized that I could write a lot about people's emotional response, not only to the pandemic and the coronavirus, but to the year 2020, which, in my opinion, is probably one of the most unbelievable years in human history. I agree with that. Yeah, so I, I wanted to dig deep in terms of how people were feeling emotionally, and as a result of having that opportunity to do that in that format to write under, I had a lot of material to draw from. So that was my process, really. From there, I could really dig deep into the heart of the matter for individuals. And I found that there was a certain universality of experience in all of this. The coronavirus had no bias. It, didn't, it was not itself prejudice or in any way whatsoever. It could attack anybody, anywhere across the entire globe. So I realized that in some sense, we all were fighting the same battle. And I also thought it was an opportunity to maybe make a statement about the uh, human resilience side of our society and also to be able to maybe infuse a little bit of hope into people's lives because obviously it's been incredibly traumatic for a lot of people, not only those who have been immediately affected by it, but even those who have just sort of had a residual uh, effect from this terrible virus. So... Why a musical? Music, as a composer, is a great way to um, elicit emotional response from people. Uh, just a melody alone, let alone, coupled with a fantastic lyric, um, can really tug at the heartstrings and can create a tremendous amount of um, emotional response from people, whether it be laughter or tears. And I think it's a really great way for me as a composer, music speaks to me in that way, And music, to me, is a direct conduit, if you will, to the heart. So uh, when is your play going to run?
13: Our opening night is November 12th, Friday and Saturday, so the 12th, 13th, and then a matinee on the 14th at 2 p.m. And then we will go again the next weekend, the 19th and 20th, Friday and Saturday night, and then end with a 2 p.m. matinee on the 21st. But if they're interested in purchasing tickets, you just go to the browncountyplayhouse.org.
0: Well, it sounds like it's going to be an absolutely wonderful time. And I am personally looking forward to seeing the show. And thank you so much for coming in and sharing this information.
13: Thank you for having us.
11: Yes, thank you very much.
8: Singing my son, grooving to the beat, playing my guitar. I didn't know the blues would take me this far. Dancing with the people, standing on a chair. Mojo working, throw your hands in the air. Going through the changes, got the halfway. Sweet home, Chicago, I know you can't wait. Crazy woman offered me an Oreo cookie and said, Hey, girl! Don't forget the boogie. Don't forget the boogie the boogie.
5: don't forget the boogie, let's boogie!
8: Some do the funky chicken, gotta do the bump. Some use their leg, and some use their rump. Some do the twist, some do the jerk. Do the tighten up, now watch me work. Shake, Shake your, your money maker. maker, let the good time roll. I am the gov, and it's time to go. Crazy woman on an Oreo cookie and says,
5: "Hey, gov,
8: don't forget the boogie." Now stop your fooling. Woman, don't forget the book with, with a flickering candle and a flickering heart. Oh, I know you've been shorted, Don't forget the But you got to have faith. Don't forget Because I am the governor. Don't forget the book Don't forget the book Don't forget the book Don't forget the boogie. Don't forget the book Don't forget the book Don't forget the boogie. Don't forget the book' A.
1: Now we pause for station identification.
0: You are listening to the Brown County Hour on Volunteer Power Community Radio, WFHB at 100.7 in Brown County. 91.3 and 98.1 in Bloomington, 106.3 at Ellettsville, and online at wfhb.org.
2: Support for the Brown County Hour comes from listeners like you and the support of the Brown County Inn, a family-friendly getaway destination located in Nashville, Indiana, offering locally sourced food, drinks, and live entertainment with banquet space, indoor-outdoor pool, miniature golf, and more. Information and booking available at browncountyinn.com.
3: Our final segment begins with a Jim Eagleman essay, Falling, and Dave Seestrom tells a story about the day the train came to Helmsburg. We'll listen to another portion of It's a Wonderful Life, and we'll close the show with Governor Davis' tune, Ain't That the Blues.
14: The falling leaves now intermixed with the fall of hickory nuts and acorns has begun laying prone and scanning the treetops for my yoga mat. Each morning, the leaves sail, twirl, and zigzag down on me from high overhead, some landing right on my chest. It's mesmerizing until I get hit by a fallen nut. Then as some bounce off the deck or land on our studio's mental roof, it might as well be a gunshot. Tens of thousands of leaves, hundreds of thousands of them to flutter down over the next several weeks to the ground is what I anticipate years of this, eons of this, you'd think would improve the thin Brown County soil to some kind of rich loam, but it hasn't. I read of how I'm to stuff leaves around my delicate plants, and if I grew roses, they'd work well to insulate them through winter a wire cage to hold the leaves in place there till spring, but I don't use the leaves in this manner. I rather just blow them onto my hugel mounds or onto the places where I planted some woody shrubs a few years back. If the twigs and branches, the limbs and logs improve the soil inside my hugel mound, but I see little change in the flat soil elsewhere where this material also accumulates, I assume it must be because the mounds are covered with the existing soil that was dug up to create the mound, and that this must be what accelerates the rotting and thus the making of better soil. When I dig into the mound with logs and leaves from a year ago or more, inside there is a mass of wet debris, the thread-like growth of fungus mycelia, pill bugs and earthworms of impressive size, and a richer blend of soil that I just don't see anywhere else on our property. And of course the aroma of rotting vegetation tells me there's some good work being done there to make better soil. And it's this month's leaves that will help. But the incredible production of hickory nuts and acorns now is what I think about. That was back in June or May that the flowering season began. Flowers from these trees didn't seem important while they hung on branches, then fell onto the roof and grass. Oak flowers, by comparison to any other trees, flowers aren't going to catch our attention. They're long and spindly, clustered together, not very colorful at all, and may have a few small oak leaves appearing on the branch that falls. Perfect flowers, with both male and female parts included, produce the small acorns that aren't visible at first, but then slowly grow all summer. Now, as they fall, I'm reminded the flowering must not have been interrupted by weather, storms, drought, or heat, like it can in other years, they went ahead and performed their task as usual. Fertilization of the female flower's ovary must have happened from joining with the tiny pollen grains from the male flower's anther. But now my inspection of these thousands of acorns lets me assume some other things are at work, namely that for all the abundance of the crop produced, many and most will not grow into the small white oak acorns, into the small white oak seedlings, they rot and become more nutrient material to improve the soil, along with twigs and limbs. Why this is true, that nature produces almost an overload of nuts and abundance can only mean that other natural factors are happening. This tremendous food source though will not go unnoticed. There is now too much food at stake. Mast eaters like squirrels, mice, Turkeys and deer primarily will react accordingly, feeding on the fallen abundance over the next few months. Woodpeckers are also busy now. Family units are noisy as young are calling and being fed by vigilant parents and acorns are being picked apart and eaten. If you inspect any fallen acorns now, you will see that they are multi-sized, turning to a dark brown and many will have a little white root coming out of the tip And this is called a root radical. This root will grow into about an inch or so in length as the nut lays there. The nut then becomes oriented in the soil, usually pointing up with the root at the bottom and the growth of a small white oak seedling. Maybe a foot tall will happen yet this fall. Red oak acorns, on the other hand, will overwinter and compete this similar task next spring. It's the impressive quantity of this year's acorn crop that amazes me. We tried to recall other years where the oaks in our yard were the daily noise on the roof and the gutters from falling acorns. If that was as abundant and through the night that it was so noticeable, there was no doubt other abundant years, but we ask ourselves, was it to this amount? Was it this noisy? And was it this long lasting? While taping this from my back deck, still hesitant to make the short trip to the studio due to COVID, I can hear the nuts falling all around. They fall individually or several at a time, sounding like more than just nuts are hitting roofs and decks. Gentle winds cause more to fall. As the acorn cap attachment to the twig dries and becomes weakened, more nuts will fall. It's these wonderful leaf-bearing trees, the walnut, beech, oak, and hickory that grace our Brown County woodlands, along with many other hardwoods, so that we call them the deciduous forest and the term deciduous simply means to fall enjoy your fall and thanks for listening this is jim Eagleman for another segment of nature ramblings for the brown county hour talk to you next time
10: clarence clarence where are you i'm here george help me clarence help me pack i don't care what happens to me Only get me back to my wife and kids, please. Clarence, I want to live again. Oh, thank you, George. And thank you, Lord. (laughs) Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas, Bedford Falls. Merry Christmas, old building alone. Merry Christmas, Mr. Potter. (laughs) Yippee! Daddy. Zuzu, my little ginger snap. (laughs) George, darling! Mary! Mary!
13: George, darling, where have you been? Mary,
10: just oh, let me George. touch you. Oh, are you real? Oh, You have no idea what's happened to me. Folks,
11: a toast to my big brother George, the richest man in town.
13: Hooray! Darling, what's this on the table here? What's this book?
10: The Adventures of Tom Sawyer.
13: Well, look, there's something written in it. Oh.
10: Dear George, Remember, no man is a failure who has friends. Thanks for the wings. Love, Clarence. Clarence? Yep. He's a very dear friend of mine.
2: Daddy, Miss Welch says every time a bell rings an angel gets his wings.
10: That's right, Zuzu. That's right. That's right, Clarence. How a boy.
12: Yes, folks. That's just part of the story in It's a Wonderful Life. Upcoming performances at the historic Brown County Playhouse, November 26, 27, and 28 in Nashville, Indiana.
0: Estelle Earl Bond, better known as Earl, was born in Brown County in 1900. Like his father before him, he was a businessman who owned a number of enterprises. But he spent the majority of his life as an undertaker in Nashville, operating the Bond Funeral Home until his death at 88 years old. I met Earl in the mid-80s when I was driving a school bus for Brown County. Earl's son, Dale, and his wife, Jean, were fellow bus drivers and friends. And during one of my visits with them, Earl stopped by and we were introduced. Earl and I would run into each other occasionally, and he always had a story to tell. I've collected stories my entire life, and I think he enjoyed the idea that a much younger person took an interest in his recollections. The following is one of the stories that Earl shared with me. I've done some background research about a few of the details by going through old newspaper accounts, but so far I haven't been able to find what I was looking for. Even so, this story rings true, and here is Earl's account based on his personal recollections. Earl was a little boy when the railroad came to Helmsburg, Indiana. The Illinois Central Railroad Company had been working on the tracks for a long time. They were enticed to come through this area in part by a large land donation by John Helms, who the community is named for. When the work was finished, there was an announcement in the newspaper and a few notices were placed along Helmsburg Road informing the public that the train was coming to town and there would be a great public celebration. In 1905, Brown County was, by and large, a forgotten backwater. The only work was in the timber industry, tanning hides, making baskets, and subsistence farming. Compared to the surrounding county, Brown County was much closer to its pioneer roots, and it's likely that only a handful of Brown County residents had ever seen a train, and they would have only seen them in places like Indianapolis. The big day arrived, and before the appointed time, hundreds of people arrived on foot, horseback, and buggies. They brought food to share, blankets were spread on the ground, and the celebration began with a picnic where everyone was welcome. According to Earl, a band was brought in to play for the crowd, and there was much merriment as the time for the train's arrival approached. Sometime in the early afternoon, the crowd grew quiet as they heard the train approach. The train came to a halt in a big field next to the future location of the Cullum Broom Factory, where a train station was built. As the crowd gathered around the steam engine, the Illinois Central Railroad Company brought a handful of dignitaries and representatives from the company, and they each took turns delivering long speeches. When the speech-making was finished, the people in the crowd were invited to tour the steam engine, and they waited in long lines to stand on the platform, look over the controls, and to talk with some of the officials. This process took most of the afternoon, and all the while the band played and the people celebrated this august occasion. When it was time for the train to leave, the engineer addressed the crowd with a bullhorn. Ladies and gentlemen, this train has to return to the station, and we need all of you to move to the edge of the field so we can turn the train around. Every single person who was there that day complied. And eventually, the crowd was gathered on the far edge of the field. A few folks in the crowd swore they could hear the engineer and the dignitaries laughing as he threw the train in reverse and they drove away. Pretty soon, the crowd figured out the joke, and they were all laughing right along with them. I've thought about this story for a long time, and it occurs to me that in the early days of railroad building, This joke played out all across America. Every new town or train stop was ripe for this humor. But eventually, most folks had seen a train, and they understood that they run on the tracks and they don't turn around in grassy fields. In the way of the world, as civilization advanced, this joke was no longer relevant. My guess is this celebration was one of the last times, if not the very last, that this old joke could be played on the crowd. And the only reason they could pull it off was because, at that time, Brown County was still living in the previous century. This is Dave Seestrom. See you next time.
8: little past four. Saw another man walking out the back door. She looked at me, said, what's wrong with you? Now time and wait till the man get through. Ain't, Ain't, that, the Ain't that the blues? Ain't that the blues? Somebody say yes. Yeah. Ain't that the blues? When well, you, well, you know you, know you got to pay your dues. dues. Went back to work to earn me some pay man said, Gov, you can't work another day. Want to call the doctor? I was feeling kind of ill. Couldn't use the phone, didn't pay my bills. Ain't that the blues? Ain't that the blues? Somebody say yeah! Yeah! Ain't that the blues? When you know you got to pay your dues. the church to hear the preacher man say to save your soul you got to pray every day i know my mama she loves me too but bb says she's driving me too and that's the blues
0: Thanks for tuning in to episode 116 of the Brown County Hour. This show was recorded in our studio at the History Center here in downtown Nashville and brought to you the first Sunday of every month at 9 a.m. and the following Wednesday at 6 p.m. and anytime online. Be sure to look for us on your favorite streaming
1: services. The Brown County Hour is brought to you by a diverse group of folks who believe now more than ever the world is for everyone.
0: This show was produced by Chuck Wills,
6: Pam Raider,
0: Rick Fettig,
6: Sarah Lytle,
0: Jim Lemon, and Dave Seastro. We would also like to thank Slats Klug for our theme
2: You have been listening to the Brown County Hour. Coming to you from deep in the woods of Brown County, Indiana.
10: Celebrating the arts, culture, and nature that make this such a unique community.
4: Visit us online at browncountyhour.com.
10: The Brown
2: County Hour is a production of WFHB.
4: Volunteer-powered,
1: listener-supported community radio for South Central Indiana.
8: Take me back, back to my home, Brown County. Home oh.